Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say that we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we are supposed to be. We are talking football in the state of Kansas. But the games last weekend are not what we are going to be leading with today, believe it or not. Another big story happened. We'll get to all of it here on the Keeper of the Games podcast, the biggest, the best, and the baddest, talking sports in and around it of interest to Wichita, Kansas. My name is Blake Cripps, joined once again by Tommy Castor. If the video this week, which you can get on facebook.com slash Keeper of the Games or on YouTube, if it's a little bit choppy this week, if the editing doesn't seem very smooth, we are getting Born down on by what is approaching severe thunderstorm status here in Wichita tonight. I can see the lightning and the thunder. So, uh, Tommy, uh, obviously, we're hoping that we can get this in because, quite frankly, we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to try to squeeze it into an hour, but there is so much to cover from last week. I'm not sure that we can. Well, and I'll be honest, I'm on baby duty tonight. My uh, my wife and my in-laws uh, went to the to the wind surge game this evening, which oh, very nice. I don't know what the weather is going to look like for them at the game downtown. But uh, because of that, I'm on baby duty. Uh, so we got to keep it under an hour because I've got a bottle I've got to give here in just a little bit. So uh, well, let's uh, let's zoom through these topics today. We will try. We will try to do that. This is episode number 77 of the Keeper of the Games podcast. The audio is still available almost everywhere. Cogsports.com for the website. Cogpod podomatic.com the best place to get the podcast each and every week but it's on stitcher and iHeartRadio, spotify and so many other of your favorite podcast platforms and you can always follow us on twitter at cogpod if you would like to react the chiefs hang tough kansas state's not pretty but gets the job done and ku makes it interesting but we begin today with big 12 expansion it is official Four new teams coming in in time for the 2023 season. Brigham Young, Central Florida, Cincinnati, and Houston entering in time. Four name brand programs, Tommy, that have national recognition. Of course, the biggest national brand is BYU. A national championship to its name in football. And that, of course, is the major decision, the major point of interest when you're bringing teams in to a new conference in 2021. Central Florida, Cincinnati, Houston, they have all been in and around the New Year's Six games over the last 10 years. Houston and Cincy have at times have had extremely nationally relevant basketball program. Cincy has been one of the power teams in the American. They were a big-time program with big-name recognition under Bob Huggins in the 1990s. Houston, of course, far removed from its former power under Phi Slamma Jamma with really only blips of success, but now under Kelvin Sampson, they're coming off a Final Four, and they've made three straight NCAA tournaments. So, Tommy, in terms of the Big 12 expansion, the four teams that they got, They're losing two big ones, two brands that just cannot be replaced with any school that wants to actually leave, in my opinion. We'll get to, you know, what the future will be for the Big 12 in a moment. But I think that this is about the best case scenario for the Big 12. Is this the best case scenario for each of the individual Big 12 schools? Of course not. This conference will not be as good as either of the previous iterations of the Big 12. But is it better than the next best conference? And I think that it is. It's absolutely, undoubtedly, the worst Power 5 conference. The, the, the Pac-12 is not, frankly, that strong right now. Look at that half-empty stadium that USC was playing in. So the, the Pac-12 power is not nearly what it was maybe 5, 10, 15 years ago. If it would be a group of seven conference, group of six, whatever, it would obviously be far and away the most powerful group of seven conference by a long margin. The side of the line that this conference ends up being judged on and falls upon, the worst power five or the best group of six, I think is going to determine a lot as to the long-term viability of this league. Now that it is official, what are your thoughts on the Big 12 with these four new schools? You know, you say best case scenario. Um, I don't really even want to call it best case scenario. It's the best 
that the Big 12 had to work with on short notice. I mean, yeah. that's basically where we stand right now. Um, you know, that there was that panic uh, when Oklahoma and Texas announced that they were leaving for the SEC. Did you then there think were all that, of, that was even on the blip of possibility? Did I think that that was on the did, blip of yeah, possibility? Yeah, I'm asking, did you think that was a possibility? I, I, it caught, I, I did not see it coming at all. I didn't either, but I, I also thought that it wasn't real until it was. Like, I kind of thought, okay, this is just smoke. You know, this is, uh, you know, the Oklahoma and Texas trying to squeeze more money, you know, out of the TV networks or the Big 12 or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, so I, I really didn't think that it was a legitimate thing until it ended up being a legitimate thing. And, you know, here we are. So, you know, the Big 12 obviously panicked. The, the member schools panicked. Um, you know, depending on what school it was, probably depended on the level of panic that they actually yeah, had. Understandably so. Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, and I guess that what the Big 12 was trying to do as a conference, as a whole, um, you know, is protect its own backside, which I don't blame Bob Bowlesby for doing that. No. Uh, his job was on the line. Uh, the Big 12 conference as a whole. I mean, everybody was talking about the demise of the Big 12 with Oklahoma and Texas leaving. Is the Big 12 as good now as it was a few weeks ago? Absolutely not. There is no way, it doesn't matter how you gauge it, BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF do not replace Oklahoma and Texas. There's just, there, there's no other way around it. The, I, I will say the one gauge that I think that you could argue the new Big 12 could be better is it, it, it might be overall better a better men's basketball league. Texas I mean, has been pretty good. They 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 made the NCAA tournament. They beat Kansas. Had a at Oklahoma has had some really good teams. But you look at what they bring in. Those is BYU has been a national tournament team. Central Florida. Okay, you're not getting much on the basketball court with them. But Cincinnati and Houston, they have been damn good teams in the American and football wise. Let's be honest. You're really only losing Oklahoma. Texas has been. Uh, they're going to the Alamo Bowl. Like, how hard is that to replace? These schools replace that. So from a competition standpoint, I think you can argue that the Big 12 might be slightly ahead. Does but that really matter compared to the other stuff, the marketing, no. the name brand recognition? I would say, no, it probably does not. No, not, not at all. And, you know, even yeah. if Houston or Cincinnati or any of these schools, they were a national championship, you know, men's basketball program. At the end of the day, that doesn't replace the revenue that Oklahoma and Texas were bringing to the no, table for the Big 12. It doesn't matter what the credentials are from these other schools. You're not replacing Oklahoma and Texas. The only way that I think the Big 12 could have scored a coup and at least been able to say, all right, hey, we have replaced Oklahoma and Texas with you know someone at equal stature would be if somehow they had gotten Notre Dame to join the Big 12, which happen. was that was never going to happen. Um, you know, so this was the best that the Big 12 could do on short notice to make it, you know, to make it look like, OK, hey, we weren't caught completely with our pants down around our ankles like we were able to come up with a solution. It may be piecemeal. We may have patchworked it together. But here we are. Does this placate the, the existing member schools of the Big 12? I would say it depends on who you are. It depends on who the member school is. Do I think that this placates the University of Kansas? That's going to be a big question. I don't think that it does. That's my does next topic, actually, Tommy, because Travis Goff, you heard a lot of the other athletic directors talking, and a lot of them seem to be very positive. They were, you know, everybody did their generic stupid, you know, oh, welcome to the Big 12, and, yeah. you know, with no creativity and marketing and whatever, because they have to do that, and I get it, but... You read the comments, and he was not exactly jumping for joy at this. And I know that there was some criticism on the internet saying, you know, because he said basically KU is going to do what's best for KU. And I know there have been people that have said, you know, KU has been one of the big problems for the conference in terms of football for about 10 years. And pretty much all of the issues have been because KU did it to themselves. So who is KU to come and say, oh, this conference isn't good enough when KU hasn't been doing anything to help the conference, at least in football, for, you know, since 2009, basically. Um, it would have been nice, I think, if you're a Big 12 member and certainly a new school to have 
all the athletic directors say, all right, we're feeling this. We feel good. We're united. Let's move forward. Let's make this happen. We can be a Power 5 conference. Um, you know, I don't know what that means for the new schools coming in. I don't know what that means for the other seven Big 8 schools. But I, I did kind of get that feeling that Goff was – he definitely thought it was better than the alternative for right now, but not totally on board with the new Big 12. I still think ultimately – Kansas will not remain in the Big 12. Now, is that going to happen in the next 24 to 48 hours? Probably not. Is it going to happen in the next you know, coming weeks or, or months? Who knows? Um, it's probably a down-the-road thing, I would think. But I still don't think that Kansas is fully comfortable with remaining in the Big 12 without Oklahoma and Texas. And you know what? That criticism of Travis Goff, okay, cool. A lot of it's probably coming from Manhattan, which it is what it is. But what? at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Kansas has to do what's best for them in the same way that Kansas State has to do what's best for them, which I don't know if you saw this or not, but uh, the, the, the athletic director for Kansas State, Gene Taylor, uh, said just recently that he doesn't see uh, the Big 12 losing much revenue with losing Oklahoma and Texas, which I'm not sure what balance sheet he's looking at. Uh, but clearly that's yeah, you know not, not sure going to be that. the case. Uh, but, you know, really, they can give their statements of unity, but you better believe the remaining schools have at least kicked the tires on what other options may be. Travis Goff may have been a little bit more forward about it or maybe a little bit less um, inviting about the idea of this revamped Big 12, but you better believe that every other member school has at least thought about what an exit plan would look like for them. And you know what? They may still want to exercise that exit plan depending on who the school is and what the options on the table are. They're go I, I said this last week on the show, the last time we were talking about this, that all of these member schools, they are all going to be supportive of the conference they are in until a better deal for them comes along. They are only as loyal as they need to be as it benefits them. And when it no longer benefits them to the level that they think it should, remember, these athletic directors have to report to chancellors and presidents and board of regents. And of course, they've got all of these donors that they have to please. Yep. I mean, it's just not an athletic department decision. This no. is an overall institutional decision. And it, it there's a lot of money, a lot of revenue attached to it. They're going to, yeah, give their rah-rah, go Big 12, and that's cool until it stops benefiting them. And then you better believe they're going to look to cover their own backsides in the same way that Oklahoma and Texas did. So here's the thing that I would I have to throw a little cold water on KU fans, because I think that they're I mean, I believe if you asked any Kansas State fan in their heart of hearts or any Texas Tech fan or any Oklahoma State fan, they would say, you know what, we'd rather be in the Pac-12. I think if you asked any West Virginia fan say, you know, we'd rather be in the ACC. And I think if you asked any Cyclone or Jayhawk fan, they'd say, you know, we'd rather be in the Big Ten. Here's the thing, Tommy. And I know you said that, well, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in the next 24, 48 hours, which is true, or the next week or next year or in five years. Here's the thing. The Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12, there's nothing stopping them from grabbing these schools now, and they didn't. And to me, there's no indication that that's going to change because with the grant of rights to the Big 12 falling off in four years, this is the time. Right now, they can get these schools on the cheap. They don't have to worry about the school having to pay. They don't have to worry about their conference having to pony up dough. They can. But what makes you think they're out. not having? What makes you think they're not having those conversations behind the scenes? Keep in mind, nobody knew that Oklahoma and Texas. They were talking to the SEC. There could very well be ongoing conversations that the general public doesn't know about. So just I mean, because, but, but just because you've got. And, and just because you've got Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, and UCF coming to the Big 12, that doesn't prevent any other Big 12 school from having other conversations. This may very well be, I mean, think about the fact that the Big 12 is losing two schools and they gained four schools. That could mean that Bob Bowlesby in his mind thought, you know what, we could afford to lose a couple of other big current Big oh, 12 schools and so. it wouldn't be. A, I'm just saying that could be, I mean, that could literally be in the back of his mind saying, at least we'd be covered if a couple of other schools jump ship. Not saying that's the case, but at least he's protecting himself that way. I'm not saying that it's impossible, but it would be, I think, very unlikely. I would say under 10% chance, especially 
after the way that the Big Ten, the ACC hasn't come out quite as strongly, but especially after the Pac-12 and the Big Ten have basically come out and said, we ain't expanding. It, it ain't happening right now. Obviously, the decisions they make is who can predict, who can know. The ACC hasn't said that much, but I haven't really heard any other Big 12 school other than, I mean, I've heard some pipe dreams like, oh, yeah, they'll take KU for basketball, which I, I really don't buy. West Virginia is the school that makes sense for the ACC, but I, I just I don't buy it with the fact that they've come out so strongly and so publicly to say we're not taking any other schools. So that leaves us in an interesting position to look at the future of the Big 12. Do you think that they will keep expanding? For me, I believe that if they are going to expand, they need to go into new television markets. They don't need to stay. They do not need to go into states that they are already in geographically or with television. So that will cut out, you know, pretty much all the states that they're in. Don't bring me a school from Oklahoma. Don't bring me Oral Roberts. Don't bring me Missouri State. You need to go somewhere else. There are two schools that I identify as possible targets, Air Force and Memphis. Air Force has a nationally relevant football program that's been in the top 25 for several years, and they have a national brand because they're a service academy. Memphis is in a major population center that has an exploding basketball program, and they have proven that they are trying to do things in football. They want to compete at the highest level in football. I think that they would make good additions to the Big 12. Anything else is really just conjecture because we've been hearing for years Florida State wants out of the ACC, but I don't have any indication that's actually going to happen. They've been saying that Arkansas wants out of the SEC for years. I don't think they're getting out of there. They've been saying that Nebraska wants out of the Big 10 now. I don't think that that's going to happen. And they've been saying that Arizona, Arizona State have been looking out of the Pac-12 I really don't think that that's that likely. So for me, when I look at the most likely targets, I think Air Force and Memphis would fit a new, I guess, what would you call it, the Big 14 at that point? I mean, that's fine. Um, I, I certainly don't have any vitriol you know, towards Air Force or Memphis. I'm not going to jump up and down for joy in the same way that I didn't jump up and down for joy with the other four schools that they brought in. Like it is what it is. You're covering your butt. You found some replacements. It's kind of like, you know, you, you break up with your girlfriend who is really attractive. And then you just decide you're going to go out with like a bunch of girls that are not nearly as attractive as your girlfriend was. But but it's all about quantity over quality. I mean, that's basically what the Big 12 is doing right now. So if you want to add a couple more five out of tens, that's I guess that's fine. Strength in numbers, I suppose. Well, your dating uh, life before you got married is a lot different than mine because I don't have the quality or quantity problem. Well, you know, some people are just blessed with that, I suppose. Yeah, not, um, not this guy. Yeah, so, I mean, okay, cool. If Air Force and Memphis end up joining the Big 12, that's awesome. Again, it doesn't prohibit any other Big 12 school. It doesn't preclude anybody from having any other conversations with any other conferences. Um, we are in, new obviously... signage of the grant of rights will, though, but obviously well, that has not happened at this it's point. Not there. But you have to imagine that this is going to be the most ironclad anchor laden grant of rights that's ever been signed yeah i mean i think i even read somewhere that houston is willing to give up some tv revenue early for the opportunity to join the big 12 early or something like that i don't exactly know the details surrounding that a, a bigger exit fee yeah yeah so i mean we're obviously in the middle of landmark changes here as far as the structure of college athletics um we're not done it's going to continue but i don't I'm, I'm just going to reinforce what i said before i don't think the changes are just going to continue as far as schools being added to the big 12 i genuinely don't think that we're done with schools leaving the big 12 i, I just i just have a hard time thinking that it's going to stay intact and just have these other people join with nobody looking to leave. I just find that hard to believe. We will see to, to this point, the others, the, I guess they're the big three, big four conferences. Now, no indication that they're going to be adding schools anytime soon. There's another conference that was majorly affected by the news last week. That would be the American athletic conference. The AAC left to pick up the pieces. Three of its strongest football members, two of its strongest men's basketball members are leaving. And of course, the next big question locally that people are thinking about, 
What does this mean for the Wichita State University Shockers? All three schools have been fairly relevant. When you think of the big sports that Wichita State cares about, it's men's basketball, volleyball, and baseball. All three schools have been fairly relevant in AAC baseball. UCF has the most appearances in the tournament. Houston and Cincy have each won two titles. UCF has been one of the top-tier volleyball programs over the last five years, including undefeated seasons in 2018 and 2020. Houston, not so great. Uh, great the last two years, but not so much before that. Cincy was really good in 2019, not so much in 2020. Obviously, we've already talked about men's basketball and the, the cachet that those three schools are going to take with them, mostly with not Central Florida. Wichita State softball could be really severely affected as UCF was very competitive, Houston was not. There will only be five softball-playing schools after this move. When the AAC is adding schools, you can't really expect that softball is going to be a priority. There aren't that many schools that sponsor that sport. UCF and Houston both right in the mix of women's basketball last year. So men's basketball-wise, Tommy, everybody knew that that was the main reason that Darren Boatwright pulled the trigger, go to the American, you get better a better television contract. All the Shocker volleyball games are on ESPN+. Plus. All the Shocker baseball games are on ESPN+. Plus. One of the advantages, the main advantage of leaving the Missouri Valley, getting the Shockers in the NCAA tournament is going to be effectively, maybe not all neutralized, but mostly neutralized. The brand names are all sexier in the American still, and I still like Wichita State and Memphis to pretty much just mow over everybody in the Missouri Valley if they were to play them. But the Power Six mantra from men's basketball that the AAC has been pushing down our throats the last five years, which, by the way, I really believe that they were the sixth best conference, but that's gone now. Darren Boatwright said it was a calculated risk to come to the AAC. What will the AAC do now, and how will that affect Wichita State? Well, keep in mind, and I think a lot of people have lost sight of this, this is not the first school that has left the American since Wichita State has been in the conference. UConn was in the conference as well, what, the first two years or just the first year? I don't remember. One or two uh, of the first couple of years that the Shockers were in the American and then UConn left. And think about the brand that they have, especially in both men's and women's basketball, just gone. I mean, they leave the conference entirely. So this isn't the first time that the conference has been weakened with Wichita State joining. And now, of course, it's happening at an even greater scale. The whole reason, like you just mentioned, and I'm just echoing what you said, that Wichita State left the Missouri Valley was they wanted greater national recognition, especially in the sports where they thrive in. Men's basketball, like you said, volleyball, like you said, baseball, like you said. The American was a perfect fit for them. I don't think that there was anybody in this market at the time that was against the move to the American. I don't think that anybody, especially who had watched Shocker basketball uh, the eight or nine years prior under Greg Marshall and watched them absolutely dominate Missouri Valley schools outside of a couple outliers here and there. You know, Northern Iowa had a good couple seasons and, uh, you know, there were a couple other schools that were were pretty strong too uh, every once in a while. But for the most part, it was it was the Shockers dominating and just I, I think the the big story was the year that Wichita State went undefeated and the fact that they didn't have hardly any competition in the Missouri Valley to go up against and you know I think it ended up hurting the Shockers in the long run so that obviously precipitated the move to the American Conference but now they're in a position as to where what do you do moving forward do you do you stick around in the American I mean does this start to Make Wichita State think maybe there's a better landing spot for us as well. Uh, And if there's all this seismic shift in college sports, maybe we need to look at a better place to land also. The challenge for Wichita State is obviously going to be they don't have football. And that's always been the big challenge for them when they're looking for, you know, what they want to do. And it worked okay in the Missouri Valley. Not every school in the Missouri Valley has football. It worked out well in the American. Not every school in the American has football. So those things worked out well. But there's a reason why you've never, ever heard Wichita State to the Big 12 because they don't have football. That's the bottom line. That's the biggest reason why you've never heard the rumor of Wichita State going to the Big 12. Geographically, it works. 
uh, other sports-wise, it works. Wichita State, in a lot of the athletics, uh, they don't play like a mid-major. They play like a high-major school. Absolutely. So really the only reason why you don't hear that is because they don't have football. So that's going to be a challenge for the Shockers moving forward. I don't know. I mean, do you think it's in their best interest to stick it out in the American and see where the chips fall? Or is it in their best interest to start to look and see if maybe there's a better landing spot? I don't know. I, I look around. I don't see a better landing spot, to be quite honest. I think it's more likely that teams would vacate the possible landing spots that they would be going to than the other way around. I think that there there is a better chance than not that the best teams from some of the other schools will from some of the other conferences will be coming and joining the American because of the commissioner, Mike Oresco. I think he's forward thinking. He got them a much better ESPN contract than anybody ever thought that they were going to get. I think he'll be able to spin this. Obviously, they're going to lose value from the schools that they have lost. There's no question about that in my mind. But where are you going to go that's really going to excite you? You're going to go back to the Missouri Valley? You're going to go to the Atlantic 10? You, I mean, the Mountain West is not going to take you. Those are the three most natural fits. Other than that, you're going to be going down way, way lower in men's basketball than I think that you'd want to. I think the most likely outcome is that Mike Oresco tries to you know, recreate some form of you know, what used to be this, you know, that there was a time when people thought that Conference USA was going to be like 36 schools. It was going to span coast to coast. And, you know, there were going to be 100 schools in Conference USA. I think that they're going to try to do that in a lesser scale. I think they're going to try to go big. They're going to go coast to coast. They're going to try to bring in a lot of schools that are in and around Wichita State's level. Probably not quite. They'll have to go a little bit smaller. Who are the schools that you can pluck for a league like that? It, it, depending on how many you get, c- can you convince some West Coast schools? Can you get Gonzaga to come and join this league if you can get two, three other schools out there on the West Coast? Can you steal a school? You know, I've heard Appalachian State has been, you know, floated a lot from the East Coast. Would Virginia Commonwealth, you know, a, a school that has had success in men's basketball. I think of would, Coastal Carolina. Would they Coastal join Carolina, the American? That's a good one. The, would, would they be willing to come a, across to something like that? But I, I, for me, I think if you're Wichita State, you stand pat. Darren Boatwright has made it very clear that he is all in on the American that this risk was calculated. I believe him when he says that. I I do think that they considered this when they moved, that, you know, this could be changing in five to ten years. Did they think it would happen this quickly? Maybe not, but who can predict these things? And I think that the trust level that he has in the leadership of the American, and I agree with him for that reason, if you didn't like the American commissioner, then I would say get the hell out. But I like Mike Oresco. I think if you're Wichita State... If I was Darren Boatwright making the decisions for a day, I think that I would sit tight in the American. I may not feel great about it, but I think I'd sit tight and take my chances. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's going to be some decisions to make. And, um, you know, ultimately, they're in a a conference that historically has thrived. Now, obviously, you're losing several of the stronger members of that conference. So, you know, I I do think it would be in the best interest of the American to try to go after, you know, some other schools that maybe, you know, you always think about football, but maybe there are some schools that are strong in, in, in other sports. I mean, you mentioned Gonzaga Would Villanova, would they leave the big East and go to the American? Could you have, could you have a merger with another conference? Could you merge with the big East? You know, the American biggie. I don't know. I mean, like I'm just throwing some things out there. There are some really crazy. If the two conferences, that divorced would then come back together. Right. That yeah. would be wild. Yeah. You never know. I mean, that could potentially uh, w- crazier things have happened. And it's all you know, about we'll, this, right? Well, yep, if, exactly. If two conferences get together and they say, you know, we can make more money together. It'll probably happen, right? What a, What about the Missouri Valley and the American? You know, uh, just you look at the, the brands and there's an issue. They're just not as strong brands. I mean, you know, uh, Drake, Bradley, 
Evansville, okay, cool. Like, you know, the only school in the in the Missouri Valley that I think has even had national exposure over the last few years has been Loyola Chicago. And they've only been in the conference for a couple of years, and that's only because of what's her name, Sister Jean and the yeah. NCAA tournament. So I just SIU don't think you has had some good football man, years and some good basketball years, you know. I just don't think you're gaining a whole lot by bringing them in. But, you know, who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens. I, I, I think it would be, you know, going to the Missouri Valley, I think it would definitely be an L for Wichita State fans. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that they felt like they were being elevated. I agree with that feeling, you know, when they left the American. I feel like going back would feel like a real a real downer, a real step I could see, in the wrong I direction. I could see uh, Creighton jumping ship and going to the American. I mean, you know, they, they've proven that they've left conferences before. They left the Missouri Valley before they Wichita did. State did, and they're a, a, a good basketball brand. Could I mean, I'm just thinking of some of these other Big East schools, like maybe that aren't happy, you know, I don't know. Where's the Big East in terms of – we never talk about the Big East. Where's the Big East in terms of payout? What do they make? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, obviously, they're – their basketball schools, you know, you're looking at Georgetown and Xavier and, you know, other schools like that. Um, so I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what, see what would happen there. Yeah. Not having, you know, cause they've got a really good, they've got a good television deal because they've got some games on CBS. They've got some games on Fox. So, you know, they, they have a really, really good, I don't think you can argue that the television package the Big East has is worse than the American. I think it's better than the American. Sure. Uh, than the American conference. Is that enough? Obviously, you know, the dollar amount is the most important thing. Anyway, we will see how this plays out for the American conference. Probably going to be over the next one to two years. Could be a very busy summer for Commissioner Oresco as he looks to put the pieces back together in the AAC. Moving on to the gridiron. The Kansas City Chiefs hung tough. It didn't look pretty for a lot of the game. They trailed for 53 minutes of the game, but somehow Patrick Mahomes stayed perfect. Chiefs were down 15-3, to but they come back. An incredibly entertaining game, 32-29. They beat the Browns on Sunday to go 1-0, and Patrick Mahomes stays undefeated in September. They had to have 13 points in the fourth quarter to pull off the comeback. Patrick Mahomes was splendid as usual, 337 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. The rushing game was a slog, 73 yards on 23 carries, averaging less than three and a half yards per carry. But Tyreek Hill went absolutely nuts, 11 catches, 197, 75 yards on one touchdown, 11 catches on 15 targets, 16th time in his career over 100 yards in the regular season. And Travis Kelsey had two touchdowns, six catches on seven targets, but Defensively, in the first half, the Chiefs didn't just look vulnerable. They looked helpless at times. But Chris Jones flipped the switch in the second half. Three tackles, two sacks, a quarterback hurry. They didn't force, after not forcing a Browns punt in the first half, the Chiefs' defense was maybe one of the big reasons in the fourth quarter that Kansas City won that game. So much to digest, Tommy, from the terrible defense to start to the defensive plays they made in the second half to a couple of red zone cough-ups by the offense in the first half, but overall Patrick Mahomes was great. What's the number one takeaway that you had from a 1-0 start to the season for the Chiefs? Well, I'll tell you, for at least the first half, uh, I thought that Bob Sutton was down there coaching the defense again. Um, it, <laughs> it was like bad deja vu. It was rough. It was really bad. I felt like I was watching the defense from a couple of years ago. Um, just, and I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that they were missing Teron Matthew, um, who is the he's the defensive captain. He's the coach out on the field uh, defensively for the team. He wasn't there. He wasn't playing. Uh, Frank Clark was out too. Uh, that certainly didn't help things. But defensively, it was just not good. And you know Baker Mayfield. Uh, well, I was really impressed with him. He got pretty much whatever he wanted for most of the game. Yeah, if you look at his box score, he didn't have any touchdowns thrown. He threw that costly pick at the end of the game that sealed it for the Chiefs. But when when he, they needed him to move the ball down the field, he did. And he did. The, the secondary just didn't have any answers. I mean, they were not able to cover guys like Jarvis Landry and, you know, the, the other receivers. And Odell Beckham Jr. didn't even play for the Browns. Uh, the, the receivers carved up... The the Chiefs secondary throughout that game. And that was something that you and I had talked about a couple of weeks ago in our Chiefs preview, or even last week in our Chiefs preview, um, just about what the secondary was going to look like for Kansas City. Um, you know, Lejerry 
Darius Sneed had looked really good at times last season. He was beat quite a bit in week one against the Browns. Um, you know, so Baker Mayfield picked on the secondary quite a bit. That wasn't ideal. Um, offensively, especially early on, I felt like the Chiefs kind of struggled to find their rhythm. But in typical Andy Reid fashion, he made the necessary adjustments at halftime. You know, and you look at that box score and obviously, you know, that the Browns were were up big at halftime. Chiefs came in and outscored the Browns 23-7 to in the second half. So those adjustments were made by Andy Reid. That's what he does. That's why he's a Hall of Fame coach. Um, but at the end of the day, I think if you're a Chiefs fan, you have to feel pretty fortunate you got the win. Yeah. And you're, you're thrilled you got the win in week one. Um, but you hope that the performance is a little bit better in the weeks to come. Well, you got outgained by 60 yards. They gained about a yard and a half more per play. And I listened, I didn't watch the game. I listened to the entire game on the Chiefs radio network. And the thing that Mitch and Danon talked about constantly was the fact that the Browns running game was so simplistic. It was just a handoff left, tackle, handoff right tackle. And they kind of ran the ball down the Chiefs' throats. Yeah. They outrushed the Chiefs 153 to, what was it, 70? Yeah, 153 to 73. Nick Chubb. 15 carries, 83 yards, 5.5 per carry with two touchdowns. Former Chief Kareem Hunt, 6 carries, 33 yards, 5.5 yards per carry for a touchdown. They had a wide receiver that ran. Nobody ran the ball for the Browns that averaged less than 5.5 yards per carry. They pretty much got everything that they wanted to get on the ground the entire game, and the Chiefs had no response for the ground game whatsoever. So I think that's really concerning. How much is Tyron Matthew going to help that? He's in the game not for his run-stopping ability. And I'm not saying he's one of those you know, defensive players because he will come up and play the run. He's not one of those guys that's too scared or is too good or too big to come up and play the run. But that's not what he's there for. He is there to cover in the secondary and to provide the on-field leadership to scout the offense and get guys in the right position. That's why he's out there. I don't know how much he can fix the running defense on his own, but the one thing that I saw on Twitter a lot, Tommy, and one thing that I feel, the Chiefs have spent all this money on the offensive side of the ball. I think they need to make like Teddy and Rounders need to pay that man his money because we saw what the Chiefs' defense looks like without Tyron Matthew. You have locked up the big, huge, critical, important pieces on the offense. I want to lock up the big, huge, critical, important piece on the defense, and that's Tyron Matthew. Well, and look, if a guy like Frank Clark is not going to get on the field for you due to his off-the-field issues, and you have all of this money tied up in him, you got to try to find a way to recoup that money and start sure. paying some other people. Um, you know, and, and I like Frank Clark, and I think that, you know, I do especially too. during that Super Bowl run a couple of seasons ago, he showed why he was, he was the guy. Big time. And, you know, he embraced being in Kansas City. Last season, he was good, but I, I don't think that it was worth the huge contract. But you've got all this money tied up in him, but yet you haven't paid Teron Matthew. And, and you 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 missed him for sure in week one. Then there are other elements that, you know, you talk about the run defense and the secondary and like other things like that defensively. Maybe it's worth looking at, you know, especially I don't know what the long term deal is with uh, Frank Clark this season. I don't know if he's going to get on the field, if they're going to be able to get the off the field issues resolved or if there's a suspension coming or what that looks like. But you can't be in limbo and you got to figure out a way to shore some things up, you know, especially on the defensive line. Um, you know, so I, that's really, really important for Kansas City. We saw what not. I know you mentioned we, you know, we saw what the Chiefs defense looked like without Teron Matthew, but we know what a Chiefs defense looks like uh, or what the whole team looks like with a bad defense a couple of years ago. You know, that was the year that Patrick Mahomes had to do crazy things and the offense had to put up 50 yeah. points plus a game just to even try to win the game because the defense couldn't stop anybody. Um, I don't want to go back to that. That was the last season of Bob Sutton. I like uh, Steve Spagnola. I think he's a good defensive coach, uh, but they've got to shore some things up defensively because, you know, the, the Browns, yeah, Baker Mayfield's a good quarterback. Yeah, Nick Chubb is a really Really good running back. They've got weapons, but are they the best offense in the AFC? I don't think they are. You're going to be playing other teams. You're playing the Ravens uh, in on Sunday Night Football this week. They've got a pretty dynamic offense as well. The Bills, you look at what they can do. The Steelers even. I mean, there are teams that, that can put points up on the board in your conference. You need a defense who can stop them. 
Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. And and you look at some of the, the wide receivers and you could just tell, I could tell listening on the radio, there were guys that were just open. David Njoku, Jarvis, Landry, Anthony Schwartz. And, you know, these are not the top tier receivers that the Chiefs are going to have to cover on a week-to-week yep. basis playing in the AFC. There are going to be much, much, much bigger tests coming up, I think, for Kansas City. So, Chiefs are 1-0. On to Sunday night football. What's one thing you're thinking about as the Chiefs get set to face a very uh, very interesting quarterback in Lamar Jackson, a quarterback obviously a couple of years ago that people had, had kind of pegged to be maybe the Robert Griffin III as he could have been, dynamically changing the game and Obviously, coming off this kind of a season that he was not expecting, uh, maybe a half step backwards last year, did not progress in the way that he wanted to, running or throwing the football. What do you expect to see out of this Chiefs and Ravens game coming up on Sunday Night Football on the National Broadcasting Company? Well, the the Ravens have a bad taste in their mouth after what happened on Monday Night Football <laughs> yeah, uh, against do. the Raiders. That was a, just an insane ending. Uh, by the way, the fact that all four AC, AFC West teams won, they're all one and zero, is crazy uh, to you know to me. But not a good the, sign if you're a Chiefs fan. By the way, yeah, the, the Ravens have the Ravens have a bad taste in their mouth after what happened. And you know, I I look less at Lamar Jackson because we know the talent that he is. We know what he can do. I. I I'm looking forward to, and Weston and I talked about this, I think a, a year ago, or maybe it was even you and me, I don't remember, but we talked about it on this program the last time that these two teams matched up in primetime and about how all you heard about was Lamar Jackson being compared to Patrick Mahomes and who the better quarterback in the, it's clearly Patrick Mahomes. The it stats is. back that up all the way, uh, but that was the narrative that was constantly being spoon-fed to everyone. So I'm hopeful that, that, that that's not the narrative coming into it doesn't mean Lamar Jackson is not a good quarterback. He's really, really good, but he's not Patrick Mahomes good. My biggest thing with the Ravens, though, is what are they going to do running the football? Um, it's kind of a makeshift running back room with, you know, all three of their top guys at the beginning of the season or before the season started out for the for the year. J.K. Dobbins, Justice Hill and Gus Edwards, all with season ending injuries. You have, you know, a, a, a rookie that got the bulk of the carries on Monday Night Football. They signed Latavius Murray to come in. But then you've also got guys like Devontae Freeman and Le'Veon Bell who are part of that running back room too for the Ravens so it'll be interesting to see how things pan out uh, running the football for the Ravens Um, but I do think that at least offensively the Chiefs have more weapons it's just again going to be a matter of how will the defense respond after the game against the Browns last week there is one stat category that Lamar Jackson is undoubtedly better than Patrick Mahomes in. And Patrick Mahomes is still pretty good at this. It's running the football. And that's going to be a big part. He was the biggest part of the Ravens running game last week with 12 carries for 86 yards. They ran for 189 yards with two touchdowns on 34 rushes against the Raiders. So uh, expect that to be a big part of their game plan. Obviously, uh, he had a pretty good day throwing the football, did Lamar Jackson. He 19 for 30, 235, one touchdown, didn't turn it over. Um, but the Baltimore Ravens did have two turnovers as well. So that'll be big, obviously, 730 on Sunday Night Football. The uh, Ravens and the Chiefs, one of the two of the four teams that I think, but yeah, we're starting with you know three of the four teams when you're watching just the Chiefs play that I think are going to be right there at the very end for the AFC Championship. We head to college football now, and Kansas State didn't look great doing it and one half of the ball, but the other half was good enough to keep them around as Kansas State escaped with a 31-23 win over Southern Illinois. Obviously, the big, 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 big news of the game was Skylar Thompson going down again with a non-contact injury. I'm not saying that he's not tough when I say this, but you can't count on this guy at this point. He will get hurt. He has gotten hurt. Now, they're saying that he is likely to play again this season, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen this week. Southern Illinois looked like they were going to be buried after going down 14-0 in the first, but they come back with 23 points in the third quarter. They scored all of their points in the second quarter of that game, but Kansas State defensively, boy, did they turn it on in this one. 13 of the points for SIU came off of Kansas State turnovers and miscues. So for me, Tommy, I didn't really see 
Southern Illinois, with the kind of offense we mentioned, the playmakers that they had on offense, what they had been doing, they were the number seven team in FCS coming into this football game. They didn't look like an elite FCS kind of offense to me. The question that will have to be answered in the next few weeks is, is that because SIU was just not that good? Or is that because the Kansas State defense really is that good? Because they made the SIU offense when they had to actually work for the possession and come down the field when they didn't get the freebie points. They made SIU's offense look pretty rudimentary, pretty ordinary. I think that's a credit to the Kansas State defense. They really made the Salukis work for their points and did not really give up any. It shut them out in the second half. That's why Kansas State won this game. Yeah, the, the Kansas State defense is legitimate. We talked about it last week on the program, the way they shut down Stanford the way that they did. Uh, the fact that Southern Illinois made it a game was directly related to not only the miscues, but Skylar Thompson going down and, and, and leaving that game. Uh, that took the wind right out of the sails of Kansas State, um, and it allowed SIU to get right back in the game before Coach Kleiman was able to rally the troops and, and get the victory. But, you know, if you watch that game you could hear a pin drop inside Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Um, it was not the just, refill the Bill big weekend that they were hoping for. No, yeah, and you just you feel terrible for Skyler Thompson. You do. Um, you know, he bleeds purple. Um, he, he has given his heart and soul to that program. He was there through Bill Snyder and the final <laughs> seasons of, of Bill. He advocated for Chris Kleiman. He stuck around for that coach, formed a, a bond with him, came back for the final year of eligibility that COVID year, um, you know, and just goes down with a, with an injury that, you know, is, is non-contact, which you always hate to see. And I also feel bad for Will Howard because it's pretty clear that he's not the favored choice under center for the Wildcats. I mean, and he shouldn't be, you know, he's still young. He's still growing into that, into that role, but it's not like there was this healthy quarterback competition. There wasn't last year. And there's not this year. It was literally, we want Skyler Thompson, but we can't have him. So Will Howard, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to fill in. You're gonna have to be the guy. And that's not an enviable, enviable position for Will Howard. But he's gonna have to step up again, just like he did last season, and try to right the ship again for the Wildcats. I mean, this is a team that we talked about, Blake, in our college football preview, that at least I thought could go to a bowl game again this year. They didn't last year because they lost their last five games with Will Howard under center. So you've got to try to improve on what you did a year ago and try to get this team to a bowl game or at least hold the fort down until Skyler Thompson can get back. The good thing for Will Howard in the same way that he had last season, he's got a good safety net uh, in in Deuce Vaughn, uh, who had a really good game against Southern Illinois again. I mean, he rushed for over 100 yards in that game, 120 yards, averaged almost uh, five yards a carry, had three touchdowns on the ground. That's what Will Howard is going to need week in and week out from Deuce Vaughn moving forward until Skylar Thompson gets back. Yeah, Deuce, Deuce Vaughn was absolutely incredible again. Uh, the, the one negative I thought about the Kansas State offense is I thought that they had a couple of series that the play calling wasn't fantastic in. I thought they got a little ordinary. It's SIU ended up with uh, seven tackle or six tackles for loss in this game. So I, I, I was hoping that, Kate, that Kansas State would be a little less predictable for a couple of times. Um, but other than that, you know, the offensive line still looked pretty solid. And I want to actually toot my own horn here just a little bit. Uh, I, I mentioned that Julius Brents, the transfer in, was going to be a big pickup in the secondary, led Kansas State in tackles. And Avante Cox, who went for like 3,000 yards the week before, he looked like just a guy out there. Three catches, 40 yards, and that was it. And I do want to give credit to Will Howard because he was obviously not the savior off the bench. The Kansas State defense was tremendous. 13 points, as I mentioned, for the Salukis off of turnovers. The Wildcat offense was a mess at times. The defense bailed them out. But give Will Howard some credit for showing a little bit of leadership as a young guy. Because we see, you know, there are so many people and we talk so much about you know, mental health of athletes and, oh, we can't criticize athletes, these, you know, professional players and all, all that stuff. And I'm not saying that any of that is wrong. Will Howard came out after the game. He talked to the media. He was a man about it. He And I'm not saying that, you know, that women don't do this. I'm saying that he stepped up as a man on the football team and said, you know what? I wasn't good enough. 
I didn't do as well as I wanted to. I need to be better. And that's how it is. He didn't make excuses. He didn't apologize. He didn't pout about it. And he didn't skip his media interview because he felt bad. He came out, he owned up, and he talked to the media, and he said that I got to get better. So for me, Will Howard didn't play good, 8 of 17, bad interception, 76 yards, didn't do that great on the ground, but I have respect for Will Howard. And with a full week of practice, let's see if he can improve more this season in this situation than he did last year. But I respect the hell out of Will Howard for coming out. He faced the music. He faced the criticism. He knows that that's not, he's not the guy that Kansas State wants to see out there, the fans or the coaches, and he came out and represented the university with class anyway. Will Howard, I respect you. Yeah, he did that last year too. Um, yes, he did. It, you know, to, to mixed results. And, you know, so again, yeah, like while he's not the guy, the ideal guy that Kansas State fans or coaches uh, would want under center right now for the Wildcats, you want your sixth year senior there. Um, while he's not the guy, he does have some experience in filling in. He's done it in the past. Hopefully he'll have a better outcome this year than he did last year. Without a doubt. And coming up next will be the Wolfpack of Nevada coming up. And that is, believe it or not, do you remember, Tommy, when all these games used to kick off at 1 o'clock? We had yeah. 1 o'clock afternoon. We got a 1 o'clock in the afternoon kickoff at Bill Snyder Memorial Stadium coming up on Saturday. The hey, by stadium. the way, before, oh, yeah, before we move on, I do want to mention, you know, we talked about the K-State defense. They're going to have... Uh, a tough test with the Nevada quarterback, Carson Strong. Uh, he's one of the top elite quarterbacks in the country playing for the Wolfpack. And so um, he's had a, a great career thus far for Nevada. And so it's going to be another tough test for the Kansas State defense. We'll see if they're up for it. Well, you mentioned that. I was about to get to Nevada. They're 2-0. and They beat California to start the yeah. year. Again, going back to our Big 12, Pac-12 conversation. Pac-12, are you really that good? They dropped 49 on, a, on Idaho State last week. They're coming in. They're playing Boise State. They are playing uh, Hawaii. They've got a very, very – they're playing Air Force uh, as part of their schedule this year. So they have a very, very interesting schedule in the non-con. Then obviously the Mountain West has a lot of uh, respect built up from previous years in football. 1 p.m. kickoff on Saturday at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. The Cats and the Wolfpack, 1 o'clock on ESPN Plus. We wrap up with our last segment of the show. KU making it uh, interesting, but not quite enough juice to get it done. Tommy, KU actually appeared to be competitive with the number 17 team in the country in the first half of this game. KU led 9-7. They did give up 21 unanswered points in the second quarter. Jason Bean got KU a late drive of the first half within two scores. At the half, uh, the offensive defense could not sustain in the third quarter, and uh, it was a romp in the second half for Coastal Carolina, 49-22 to last Friday night. Plenty of negative to dis discuss, Tommy, but Jason Bean, the first KU quarterback to run for over 100 yards in 19 years, your hero and mine, Bill Whittemore, believe it or not. God bless you, number four. 121 yards against Colorado in 2002, and Tommy, if you take out two quarters, which I know you can't, Coastal won the second quarter 21-6, fourth quarter 14-0. It's a two-point game outside those quarters. So for me, this shows how far the Jayhawks from come, have come. One of the cool things that I heard on the radio this week that I'm going to steal was that, you know what? Somebody said, this year in this game, KU looked like a regular bad team. They look like a team that's not there that actually practiced, unlike last year, which like, it was a total mess. So they've come a distance, but there is still a long, long way to go to get KU back to where they need to be with their football program. You know, I said it during our college football preview that, you know, when it comes to Lance Leipold as the head coach at Kansas, a lot of people within the, the program that I've heard, uh, the, the, the overall consensus is that they, they feel good having an actual adult in the room making the decisions. <laughs> And yeah, like we've all heard that before. We've heard it from every other coach that's that's been there. But I agree with you. I watched that game. And of course, yeah, Kansas got blown out. They did not cover the spread. But at the end of the day, it actually looked like a competent football team at times. You know, and I know the bar is set so low, but, <laughs> but we're now low. looking at, okay, like, 
let's look at little victories here, like little things that we can do. Like, yeah, there were some miscues. There were some penalties that were done there. I mean, it wasn't a, a perfectly clean game by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, especially like I look at Jason Bean at quarterback and I see a, probably the most talented KU quarterback in the last several years uh, under center. I mean, you know, he's a dual threat quarterback. Um, you know, I, I watch him. Throws. I watch, he, he did, but I watch his poise for the most part and I watch his athleticism and I think, man, like, this is a, a substantial upgrade from who we've had. You know, Thomas McVitie, come on. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, like nothing against Miles Kendrick, but come on. Like the last couple of years of quarterbacks for the Jayhawks have been brutal. And I, at least I felt like Jason Bean knows what he's doing under center. And so, you know, you have to feel, I don't know if you have to feel good about it necessarily, but you have to be like, okay, it's a, at least a little bit of an improvement. For sure. I mean, he ran for 13 times. He gained 118 yards. Remember, the sacks in college football count against your rushing total. So he did lose that yardage on the sacks, but he ended up 13 for 102, two touchdowns at a 46-yard run in this game. 12 for 23 through the air, 189 yards passing. Um, The yardages, really, when you look at them team to team, Tommy, not that dissimilar. Coastal had about one yard more per carry. They were better per catch than Kansas, but the difference was really third down. KU went 7 for 15. They were 0 for 5 on fourth down. And Coastal, they KU only stopped them one out of nine times on third down. KU is not going to upset anybody if they don't figure out that down better than they did. You know, I feel like in the running game, you know, Velton Gardner averaged 3.9 yards per carry. Devin Neal averaged 3 point, what was that, 6 yards per carry. I'd like to see Velton Gardner get a few more snaps. I feel like there are times he has a burst. He's got great breakaway speed in the middle, running in between the tackles. He's very, very shifty. Had an 18-yard run in that game. I would like to see Velton Gardner maybe featured a little bit more than they have Jason Bean, he's he, he's got real speed. He's really fast once he gets on the outside. I don't know how shifty it is. And also, by the way, if I see him, you know, carrying the football out like this one more time, like this far <laughs> away from his body, I'm going to have a heart attack. Seriously. But other than that, he's got real speed. He's not built real big though, and you know, he's going to have to learn how to get down when we're playing against these big defenses that are coming up. But I think I'd like to see a little bit more variety in the running game with Velton Gardner getting a few more touches in the backfield. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. And, you know, we talked about it in our preview that really where you're going to see Kansas struggle the most are on the offensive and defensive lines. Um, you know, they just don't have the dogs like, you know, the, the bigger schools have or the, the better schools have. But I thought that, you know, all things considered, they hung decently well with the number 17 team in America. And it at gives times. me a little, at times, it gives me a little bit of hope about the Big 12. Are they going to win any Big 12 games? Probably not. But are, is it going to be just an absolute abomination every week? I don't I don't think so. I think that we're going to be able to see this this team hang with, you know, some of the, their competition in the conference throughout the season. And, and I, I think that that's the kind of progress that you want to be looking at. That's the kind of progress that you need to be seeing in year one of a new era. Uh, and then as long as the that progress continues in year two and beyond, I'm okay with that. Here's the, here's the true test, Tommy. Have they improved enough for you to reactivate ESPN Plus to actually watch these games? No. Um, <laughs> not right now. How's that um, for honesty? Yeah, no, not right now. Um, but hey, the good thing was that you know the coastal game was on ESPN too, so was. I didn't have to have ESPN Plus. Uh, it was not going to be this week, and maybe not for a while. We got the big uh, ESPN Plus coming up. Do we get the on the plus? I'm just a brand new subscriber. You know better than I do. Do we get the ACC Network on the plus? Is that a thing? Um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I do know that. I think I have the ACC network on my cable plan, so no, I, don't have I should cable, be able to watch so that game. Yeah, We snipped that. That's coming up with Duke coming up on the 25th. Next week, of course, uh, for Big 12 opener for uh, KU, yeah. Jayhawks are hosting Baylor, the Bears, and that is a 2.30 kickoff on ESPN+. And you mentioned how respectable the season is going to be. If KU is going to make it respectable, 
I mean, it's got to be against TCU, Texas Tech, and probably their best chance is Baylor, right? So if it ain't respectable this week, it might be a long, long Big 12 slog for the Jayhawks. We will see how that turns out for them. That is our show, but we do have one last bit of business to get to. It's our favorite time of the show. I think it's Tommy's as well. It is time to hit the music. We are going around Wichita with the Wichita Whip Around, the best stories that we did not get to bring you this week. Tommy, what is your Wichita Whip Around story? Yeah, so it is a big, big, big time week for the Wichita Wind Surge, a division championship and a spot in the AA Central playoffs. At stake this week at Riverfront Stadium as the Wind Surge take on the Arkansas Travelers. They have a three-game lead over Arkansas entering the series. The opening game is going on as we record this on Tuesday night. My wife is there right now. I think the game is actually in a rain delay, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but uh, by the time this show drops, we'll know uh, the, the outcome of that game more than likely unless the game gets called because of rain. But uh, really, because they have a, a three-game cushion over Arkansas, they only have to win two out of the six games this week to clinch a postseason berth. Um, but, of course, I think that the Wind Surge would like to do more than that. So uh, it's been a big-time push to the playoffs, and that would certainly be pretty special if the Wind Surge could earn a spot in the playoffs in their first season after everything the team and the franchise has been through to come to Wichita and the death of Lou Schweckheimer of COVID-19 back last year. That would be such a huge tribute if they were able to make it to the playoffs. So uh, hopefully that ends up happening for them. And uh, we'll, of course, have an update next week on the show. I am going to go through City League football for the last week. Get you up to date on all the scores for my Wichita whip around. Independence absolutely plasters Wichita North 52-6. to Capen over East 29-22. Bishop Carroll 35-6 to over South. West beats Southeast 48-18. Did you see the stat lines from this Northwest Heights game? I did 62 not. to 40. The Grizzlies had 800 yards of total offense, 64 rushes as a team for 732 yards. Senior Jeremiah Moore ran the ball 38 times for 404 yards and five touchdowns, and two other players in the game ran for over 300 yards. Northwest looked like they were going to mow over the Falcons after the first quarter. They led 21 to nothing after the first quarter. Heights obviously made a game of it, but just could never come back from that 21 nothing shellacking in the first. A little bit outside of the City League, Derby beat Newton last week 50-17. to So we've got two massive games coming up uh, this week involving City League schools, Tommy. You've got the number one 6AK preps team hosting the number three 5AK preps team. It's Derby hosting Bishop Carroll on Friday. That's the Kansas Vipe number one Wichita large ranked school versus number two. And then a little lower down the dial on the Wichita large rankings, you've got number four Wichita Northwest taking on number five Capen this week. So those are two huge, huge games in the City League coming up. Uh, I'm not sure which one you should go to if you've got a ticket, but uh, both of them should be really, really outstanding football games next week. We'll finally see, can will this be the year that Bishop Carroll finally gets off the schneid and knocks off the Panthers? Yeah, a lot of big-time City League games coming up, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, like, it, it's always difficult for me to keep track of exactly what's going on in high school football in the Wichita area because there are so many teams to keep track of. But, oh, yeah, um, yeah there, there's, some, there's some major, major talent coming from the Wichita area for sure. The Holy War rivals lead the City League right now, both at 2-0. Then West is 1-0. You've got Northwest and Southeast at 1-1. Heights, East, North, South, still looking for their first wins in the City League. Time for our last segment, the additions, corrections, and retractions. We've got a lot of additions to get to this time. Tommy, do you have any that you need to get off your chest? Yeah, I do have one addition, and maybe this is one that you have ready to go, but uh, I don't know if uh, folks saw this announcement earlier today or this breaking news from ESPN. Obviously, I think it was on Monday, uh, the University of Southern California fired Clay Helton, their head football coach. It sounds like Eric Bieniemy may be a leading head coach candidate to take over for Clay Helton. Uh, he's from Southern California. Apparently, he has told folks close to him that uh, he would consider leaving to 
to go to USC to be their new head football coach. Um, and, you know, if, if that happens, that's a big shame to leave the Chiefs, I, but I understand. How bad of a look, though, is it to the NFL that he couldn't get a head coaching job in the National Football League? He's got to go to the college ranks. Hey, you know, like I said last year, I don't really care if any other team hires him. If the other 31 teams want to continue to operate in the realm of stupidity, let them continue to fail. I don't care, okay? Eric Bieniemy is an NFL head coach, period. If the other teams can't see it or don't want to see it or are too racist to see it, that's on them. I, I like Eric Bieniemy. This this is a pro-Eric Bieniemy space. Stay in Kansas City forever. Obviously, the big question will be, can he recruit? Because at the pro level, you don't have to do that. Um, USC has been a big brand. Have they earned that recognition over the last 40 years with how they've actually done on the field? I don't know. Uh, what's the, the the essence of the Pac-12 like in football right now? I don't know, but that is definitely definitely one that I was going to get to. Shocker Volleyball improved to 5-1 and one on the season. They went 2-1 and one at the Kansas Invitational. Wins over Kent State and Delaware. They lost to the Jayhawks in straight sets, but they've got the Shocker Volleyball Classic back this weekend. A full weekend of volleyball starting at 4.30 p.m. on Friday. I'm actually going to go watch them play, so I'll report back next week. They've got South Dakota 7 p.m. on Friday. The next morning they play Wyoming at 10. And then they've got their old Missouri Valley Conference rivals, the Creighton Blue Jays, coming up at 7 o'clock. Matches throughout the day at Coke Arena. Uh, then on the 24th, the Slog of American Conference play begins. The other addition, this absolutely shocked me. This broke today, six hours ago. The Kansas City Royals are considering leaving Kauffman Stadium for a downtown stadium. Tommy, with all the money that they just put in to renovating Kauffman Stadium and Arrowhead, I cannot, for the life of me, understand why the Royals would do this. I, I Can you explain it to me? Why do, would you renovate the K in 2012 to say in 2021 that you're going to move downtown? This is absolutely unthinkable to me well i mean i think a lot of it is you know is leverage you know that their lease will be up in in 10 years you know and so maybe it's a way to dangle a carrot to try to get you know a better deal when that time comes um but it also sounds like this is something that john sherman the new owner of the royals is apparently working with i don't know if he's working with clark hunt and the chiefs about what it might look like downtown, but it doesn't, the way that John Sherman talked, it's not just the Royals, it's the Royals and the Chiefs, although there's been no comment from uh, anybody from the Chiefs organization about this. I think at the end of the day, you know, it's something that is not, it's not going to be a slam dunk to happen. Uh, it, there's going to have to be, it's going to be a public-private partnership. There's going to have to be tax increases, you yes. know, things like that, that the public is going to have to uh, approve upon. This isn't going to be something that I just can't see the city just agreeing to do this and just, yeah. you know, put the bill for it. Uh, so it's a long time away. I wouldn't, if I was anybody that had anything to do with Coffin stadium, I wouldn't start packing up the stadium. Now <laughs> I would give it some time. Cause I just have a hard time thinking this is going to happen. The thing is, what the hell are you going to do with the Turner sports complex? You've got like Truman, 500... the Truman sports complex. what I say? I thought Turner. I said, Oh Yeah. Sorry, Truman Sports Complex. What the hell are you going to do with 5,000 acres of concrete out there? So, I don't know. What, what are you going to do with that? Anyway, whatever. I'm, I guess that's why I'm not a mayor of a city or anything. So uh, I am the mayor of this podcast, though, and uh, huh. I have adjudicated that uh, we are at the end of our time here, Tommy. Uh, right. We will see you next week on the Keeper of the Games. Obviously, we have got a lot to get to. I'll talk. We'll talk about Shocker Volleyball next week, as I mentioned, as they get set for American Conference play. Big, big game coming up for the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football. And, of course, the best of KU and Kansas State. And who knows what else we'll be discussing next week as well. So make sure you like, share, and subscribe. Appreciate all of you for watching and listening here today. Like, share, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Hit the notification if you watch on Facebook or YouTube so you can get the notifications each and every week. We're posting these Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We'll stick to probably Tuesday and Wednesday throughout the football season here in the fall. So we really appreciate all the support. Thank you so much. Before we go, Tommy, for our dear and beloved audio listeners, where's the best place that people can find you on Twitter? You can follow me anytime at Tweets from Tommy. 
And I am at B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S, B-E-Crips on Twitter. So we'll see you next week on the Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.